to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a flock of angry bats, a zombie with a nice big ass, a haunted puppet brewing his own moonshine, and a serial killer dressed up like the killer from Scream, but without the je ne sais quoi of the actual Scream killer. I am Mikey McCaller. And I am Roxy Polk, and I think that zombie has a future in modeling. <laughs> I found him at the mall. <laughs> oh, <stopped> okay. <laughs> it was the Dawn of the Dead Mall. <laughs> Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing we saw this week. What went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you down to your bones? Okay, it was a YouTube video, <laughs> and it... Do you know who Internet Historian is as a YouTube personality at all? I do not. I'm not familiar. No. Okay. So he makes videos on all kinds of things. And the video in particular that I watched uh, this week was titled uh, Man in Cave. Okay. It's about the actual history of a real guy called Floyd Collins. And mm-hmm. it's absolutely terrifying. In 1925, he was trapped in a cave for days. There was an insane media frenzy around him being trapped in the cave (laughs) that swept the nation. Unfortunately, after many crazy things happened to try and get him out and other things with people stymieing trying to get him out for some reason because people are idiots, he sadly died saying that he Mm. just didn't want him. He didn't want to be trapped in that cave. At least he wanted his body to be buried (laughs) outside. I am just tired of being trapped in this cave. So, Roxy, you said it was from 1925? Yes. Yeah. And so, like, it gets it gets worse. So they wanted to at least try and bury him. So they were trying, obviously, to take him out alive. When they couldn't, you don't have to worry about trying to get him out delicately, you know. Uh, <laughs> but they still couldn't even do that. So they just sealed the cave. His family sold the land. It got bought. And then the people who bought the land turned his body in the cave into an attraction. So not only did they not let him out, they turned his corpse into a roadside attraction and charged people money for it. It gets even this worse. Is, it's not done. It's not done. No, it gets even worse. Then mysteriously, somebody tried to steal it, either because it was a competing cave person who wanted their cave to be more <laughs> of an attraction or because they wanted to make it their own attraction. They were, they were like, we don't think, we think it was competitors is like the running theory. And so they- Ended up not being able to steal it correctly and had to, like, throw his body into the bushes so they could escape. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so even though his body had made it outside, they then brought the corpse back because the guy was like, I still own that corpse, and put it back into the cave <laughs> to be an attraction. And it was not until 1989, when the Park Service had bought it <laughs> and owned the land for 20 years, that the family finally got him back and got to bury him. He was buried, or he got trapped in the cave 1925, body didn't get buried, and saved from the cave until 1989, Mikey. I I will say, first of all, it's very funny that there was, like, the cave business in the 20s and 30s was booming. We didn't have TV or video games yet. (laughs) We were all interested in caves, baby. Tell me more about these caves. But also, I'm on record that when i die i could not give less of a shit about what happens to my body turn it into fertilizer throw it at a dog to help you escape from a a vicious dog (laughs) like whatever you need to do with my body so i if i'm that guy like that kind of is the best case scenario for me 
I would kind of love being an attraction. I want people to come look at my body. I want it to decay before people. I think that would be cool and scary. I think they would be into it. You have to become a spooky roadside attraction. I mean, I guess that is one way to like live on forever in a way. Like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be talking about Floyd Collins. There probably wouldn't have been a video, a YouTube video made with millions of views if it wasn't for yeah. this. That's a secret. <laughs> what uh, about you, Mikey? I'll tell you what's scaring me. Ooh, I'll tell you what's scaring me, Roxy. Uh, slight crossover shout out, but um, oh. over on the Super NPC Radio podcast feed, Roxy, uh-huh. you and I are playing through Mario 64. Yes. We are getting to the point in Mario 64 in our Games Club review. Which you can listen to if you subscribe to Super NPC Radio. Do it. It's fun. We got to Jolly Roger Bay. And Roxy, oh, there's wow. a big eel in Jolly Roger Bay. <laughs> in Super Mario 64, you have to remember, this is one of the very first 3D video games. You get to the water level. You're swimming down. Mario already is losing health because he cannot breathe underwater. Mm-hmm. And you get to a sunken ship and popping out of it is a giant eel. It's a big eal. It's very spooky. He's and large. He does a jump scare, essentially, when he pops out at you, yes. correct? Yeah. You see a little, there's like a sunken pirate ship, and you, as Mario, as this you're cute like, cool. little polygon man, you're like, oh, a little pirate ship. He pops out. It's like they, it feels like they wanted to render him cute, but just didn't have the technology to do it yet. Uh-huh. He comes out, and he's so upsetting, and he's so big. That's my problem with it, specifically. Again, this... Segment on my end might as well just turn into what's the biggest thing you saw outside uh-huh. the scary basement this week. I'm so afraid of giant things that seeing this giant eel in Mario 64, it like, it didn't startle me because I more or less have this game memorized, but I was just like reveled in how scared I was still to this day, even though I know exactly what to do. I know exactly how to swim around that eel. He freaked me right the hell out. That's kind of amazing that it can still like, instill that amount of effect in you, even as an adult this many years later replaying it. There's something to be said about a game being able to capture that still, and yeah. for you yourself to be able to still be in the mindset to enjoy that about it, too. It, it almost feels like I can like put myself, like I can think about it like, okay, I've played this game a million times and I'm not afraid, but like I can almost like shift my mind back to the state it was in when I first played it and like remember those feelings and kind of mm-hmm. sit in those feelings. And I do enjoy it still. I still enjoy like being scared by that weird, <laughs> that wonderful. weird game. I yeah, love that. Cool. We listen, we love Mario 64 around here. One thing we don't love is the demon bot who is currently skulking from around the corner, ready to deliver a message to us. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2008 film Let the Right One In, the original Swedish version. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Uh, Roxy, I did watch Let the Right One In, did you? Yes, I did. Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. He always just like it, it's almost like he's a, a toddler in a play. <laughs> like he, he he steps out, he delivers his line, and then he says for now, and then like skitters away. He's like he's just like scared, and he got it out, and he's proud of himself. <laughs> so Roxy, we watched "Let the Right One In," a 2008 Swedish vampire movie. Boy, did we! Just in case anybody listening up at the cellar door hasn't watched it, let's run through the plot real quick. What do you say? That sounds wonderful, Mikey. 
All right, let the right one in. In our first shot, we meet a pale boy named Oscar, who is surprisingly not a vampire. Looking very vampire-like, if I do say so myself. No, he looks out his window and sees two new neighbors moving into his apartment building. An older man, and seemingly his daughter. A girl just about Oscar's age that we'll come to know as Ely. At school, Oscar's getting bullied by a punk kid named Connie, probably because he's super into true crime, and in 2008, it wasn't cool to like that yet. Anyhow, Oscar is an outcast and soon forms a bond with Ely, who he only gets to know at night. He gives her a Rubik's Cube, she solves it overnight, and the next day, Oscar finds it outside. Meanwhile, that older man, who we thought was Ely's dad who lives with her? No, he's some kind of manservant, some kind of familiar. And this man traipses off into the night to abduct and murder a random passerby, slicing him open and draining this man's blood into a gallon jug. Unfortunately, this familiar old guy, he's pretty bad at his job, and he gets spotted, like, immediately. He doesn't get very much blood. It's a disaster. Meanwhile, Ely and Oscar are getting to be friends, learning Morse code together so they can send messages to each other through the walls, separating their two apartments. They also talk about Oscar's bullying, where Ely suggests that he hit the bullies back and hit them back harder than he'd ever dare to. But when she finds out how little blood her old-ass familiar snagged, Ely is pissed. So she takes matters into her own hands, heads out to kill and drink the blood of some random bloke. Unfortunately, Ely is seen by another passerby, but fortunately, that passerby is a big old coward and doesn't do jack shit about seeing a man be murdered by a small girl. The old-ass familiar returns to lend Ely a hand by dumping the blood-drained corpse of her victim into an ice hole. It's just a hole in the lake. It's not really. (laughs) It's not really. (laughs) I feel like they talk about the ice hole a lot in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just a hole in the ice that is being melted in the snow to a degree also. Not the most ideal hiding place. This guy is so bad at his job, it cannot be understated how bad he is at this. The old ass familiar then goes out to kill and drain a boy, but he is caught again. So in an attempt to hide his identity from the police, because he knows he can't run this time, he wants to make sure they can't trace him back to Ely. Our guy pours acid on his face, disfiguring himself. Ely finds him at the hospital, and she drinks his blood, and then hucks his empty, scarred body out the seventh floor window like a wrapper of a hard-shell taco from Jack in the Box. Ely then shows up at Oscar's house and demands he look away as she strips naked and crawls into bed with him, her maw still covered in blood. Oscar asks Ely if she wants to go steady. She tells him she's not a girl, to which Oscar asks if she wants to go steady anyways. Eventually, when Ely learns that literally nothing about their relationship changes if she agrees to go steady, she throws the kid a bone and says, in not so many words, sign me up, baby. I want to go steady. Oscar's class goes ice skating, and there they stumble upon the body of the man Ely ate earlier. You know, the one who got dumped in the ice hole? Here we also see Oscar finally stand up to his bully Connie and whack him with a long stick in the ear so bad he makes that punk kid half dead. Celebrating with Ely, Oscar decides they should become blood brothers and slices open his palm. This makes Ely, as a vampire, lose it. (laughs) She leaps to the ground, lapping it up, and then looks up at Oscar with a face most old. One of the creepiest shots I've ever seen. I had to rewind it twice to know what was happening with that. I know, me too. I couldn't (laughs) tell if it was, like, if I was imagining it. It was so subtle, but also not subtle at all. Incredible. Yeah. At that point, Oscar hightails it out of there, and Ely goes out and attacks another lady, only biting her a little bit before she's shooed away by that lady's brother. 
of course, that victim, only getting half bit, will become a vampire themselves, figure out that she was infected by the little girl's bite, and commit suicide by opening the blinds during the day and bursting into flame. And that lady's brother, oh, he does not take her fire death well. He breaks into Ely's apartment, and just as he's about to stab her, Oscar, nearly ready to stab the man himself, instead cries out, waking up Ely and letting her take care of business. And uh, by take care of business, I mean devour the blood of a man. Ely thanks Oscar by giving him a cute little bloody kiss. The next day, Connie and his gang of bullies lure Oscar to the swimming pool. Connie's bad egg older brother is going to hold Oscar underwater for three minutes. If Oscar can't do it and surfaces before the time is up, Connie's brother will cut out an eye to pay for his brother's ear. But while he's underwater, Ely shows up and straight up murders all of Oscar's bullies. Leave Oscar and Ely together on a train. Ely inside a massive suitcase and Oscar looking out the window. He taps on the cover of the suitcase in Morse code. And that is Let the Right One In, original, from Sweden, 2008. What a Swedish movie. And Roxy? (laughs) What a sweetheart movie. Is it, though? I love this movie. I thought it was so sweet and cute. Uh, I didn't think this movie was sweet and cute at all. No? Uh, Yeah, I I think it uses the veneer of that to say something Mm. else about, like, codependent relationships and how people can take advantage of one another. Or how maybe desperate people, you know, who have no options will take advantage of one another. Interesting. Yeah. I have the exact opposite read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What what made you think that? What what did you see in it that made you come to that conclusion? Oh gosh, their entire relationship. It it has this cute veneer and there's certain parts to it that I think you can look at in isolation and be like, that's cute. But overall, it's really not. Like Ely needs a new familiar. This man that she is has been using, who I guess I I know. We talked about how there's differences or just further explanations in the book compared to, like, the original mm-hmm. film. Like, I think you and I both looked up some details. Uh, neither of yes. us read the book. I didn't really even realize this was based on a book until I was doing, like, some cursory research. Well, um, can, can we, re- real quick, before we get into the book stuff, I would almost, because my, my in, when I read the book, I was like, oh, this is a bummer. I loved how, like, ambiguous a lot of these details were. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about the, like, the, the information the movie gives us first, and then how the like understanding what happens in the book colored that later yeah yeah that's totally totally legit okay. um so like when this familiar is introduced at first you're like is this her father who is doing this for her is this uh some random guy she met i was also thinking was this guy once a little boy like oscar who was mm-hmm. groomed and has been subservient to her until he was an old man like this until he couldn't do it anymore uh mm-hmm. so it very much seemed like Oscar, that's going to be you. You're going to be that guy. Oscar himself is like, he's very much ignored, bullied, not listened to. He is a kid who is very easy to convince and take advantage of and kind of groom. He's a vulnerable kid. Ellie grooms him to be exactly what she needs uh, to take Mm. him away. It kind of feels like she's just taking advantage of a sad, isolated child with no friends. (laughs) So it may have elements of it being like a cute love story but i think it kind of is twisting your expectations of that because like at the end of the movie they leave to go together which when you would think about it like oscar is trapped by his life sure maybe this would seem like a good idea but the thing is he is a young child he has no money no knowledge of the world no connections nothing Mm -hmm. 
he has to somehow support this vampire like on their own on the mm-hmm. road. He can't get a job. He can't buy a house. He can't do anything. It's just doomed to kind of fail in a way. And not just in a way, like in every way. And there's also just the realization that eventually, yeah, he's going to age up and die when his partner is just like a 12-year-old, a child. So what's going to happen when he's in his teens, in his 20s, in his 30s? He's going to look like he's a pedo if they're actually being romantic or he's going to have to pretend there's something else. The future seems very scary for this child <laughs> to me. I, I will say that that to me hits of a little bit of like, well, if Batman really wanted to stop crime, he would just support lo- like low-income housing. And it's like, yes, that's true. <laughs> that, that, the logic is there. But the mythology of like, the way I read their connection, uh, it's like, to me, it felt like the arc for Ely, who I would argue is, again, the protagonist, if we're going to do a Campbell's Corner, Ely is the one going on this journey. It felt like she was changing from somebody who was in a relationship that was truly toxic with her initial familiar, that she is bossing around. He is like trying to communicate with her and can't. He's just like, I think this is a bad idea, but I'll do it anyway. And he's bringing acid along. Like, it's not a good relationship versus like the relationship she starts to build with Oscar is like on equal footing. And the moments that I saw where it was like Ely coming to him, specifically the scene where he asks her to go steady and she says no. And then she kind of like thinks about what it means. Like, I just thought that was such like a, a a kind moment for her to just be like, oh, going steady doesn't change. And, and, it, and this is important to you. Therefore, okay, we can go steady. Like that to me, like, I can't imagine her doing that with her old familiar. Well, the thing is, it's manipulative in a different way, because, like, Oscar is kind of like the innocence that she can no longer have. Like, she is this ancient thing who is, we don't know how many years old, but uh, probably lived, like, several human lifetimes worth, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very least, more than, like, you know, 12 years old. So it seemed kind of like she was just telling him whatever he wanted to hear so that he would do what she wants, because she didn't care. I mean... Th- that that feels like a subtle distinction because she could also just be telling him what she wants to hear because she cares about him and wants him to be happy. That too. That's definitely possible. Uh, and I'm not the, saying, the, I think it's also more complicated than either of our takes. I feel like it's probably hmm. somewhere in the middle where that's fair. two things can be true at once. You can be in love with someone and still manipulate them in a toxic way, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like Ely being the older one, technically the one who has more knowledge and everything, has a lot more awareness of what they're doing. They might have been like 12 years old for a very long time, but they've seen enough of the world to know more. You know, they've like... I, I agree. Uh, well, I, I take that back. I, I I see where you're coming from, but also like there are so many moments in this movie where I was just like, oh, Ely is just a 12-year-old. Like emotionally, intellectually, like that is where she stopped. Because like there's this moment where they are like having candy mm-hmm. and he's like, do you, do you want some? And she's like, I can't eat candy. And he's like, oh, okay. And then just like... It felt so 12 years old when Ely is like, let me try it. Like, she kind of wants to impress her new friend. I was like, and and that to me shaded her as the type of character who is not like a hundred year old manipulator. And that is just like a little kid who is just doing their best. And I I don't know. There's something about this title. Let the right one in. And this is very much, (laughs) there is almost no evidence to support this. But my reading of it, 
is the like she let her last familiar in and i think probably yes was a little boy uh and grew up into this man we saw uh bumbling around trying his best to murder but he was not the right one like her and oscar were right for each other they but like the have is, this connection found each it other it seems that way what is oscar gonna be like when he's that man's age when he's gone through decades of like being a vampire familiar having to get her blood having to kill people having to live in hiding you know, if they can even get that They might that still like far. each other. They might, but, I mean, one of the ways that she kind of acts with her familiar, they almost feel like an old married couple who is kind of like, you know, said all they need to say to each other, so they sort of don't really talk that much as well, the way they sort of mm-hmm. interact. Definitely with Ely with the upper hand, which I think that is an interesting dichotomy, obviously, to have, like, this younger child show that they mm-hmm. have the upper hand in this kind of relationship. It's, uh... An interesting choice in general for, like, a monster. I do like this in concept yeah. a lot, and I think it's why it works so well in a lot of different ways and how we can have these different takes. Um, and I would mm-hmm. say, like, particularly with that candy scene, yeah, I'd say that is kind of, like, this more uh, nuanced take where I think both things can be true at once that she is trying because she wants that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's, like, the right choice or is going to have an, a good outcome ultimately, mm-hmm. I guess, with the way that they interact. That's so interesting. So would you say this ending feels hopeful or not? I think it is framed very hopeful, but when you actually think about the specifics of it, it doesn't Mm -hmm. make me feel that way. Mm. Because you see, apparently he's, Oscar is leaving behind his entire family, everything. Mm -hmm. He has nothing to his name. I guess Ely had like that egg that has like jewels in it. (laughs) <laughs> she was like you yeah, can you can buy an it. entire power plant with this thing and he's like you're joking right she's like just go ahead and touch it he touches it and it's like this puzzle box that just disassembles and there's like rings <laughs> and a gold ball inside or something so yeah. i guess they've got money they got stacks of cash from the people they kill and i guess mm-hmm. they could just keep going on the road and like bonnie and clyde sort of situation to keep doing that and I mean, maybe that'll be okay for a while, or maybe, you know, people won't think it's them because they're children. I don't know. You could maybe try and get away with it. Oscar, he's a very earnest kid. He's is not very, like, sneaky or um, <laughs> doesn't strike me as someone who would be good at covering up crimes or things like that. I agree. Um, so it's he's like they would get caught like- immediately. <laughs> I also think he's ready to be a fucked up kid, whether or not he meets Ely in general. Like he's super I mean, into crime. He's yeah. Pre- he he just needed a tiny little push yeah. to start deafening his bullies. Like I and and that's why like I like them together so much. It feels like they fit together. I, I, I think like- in a way, yeah, because they are sort of both broken people who are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Where mm-hmm. Ely has lost her childhood innocence, but is always going to keep that body. And Oscar kind of still has his childhood innocence, no matter how, like, kind of warped and fucked up it is. The mm-hmm. way that he can just love her sort of unabashedly, as he is right now as a kid, yeah. I think speaks to that. And I think there is something very beautiful about the way that he is able to act in that way. It just makes me very worried about it. I couldn't stop worrying about it the entire time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, he's literally bringing a knife to school. He's being bullied. He's, like, stabbing a tree, imagining it's his bully. Mm-hmm. Ely makes a point about how, yeah, you'd like to imagine being violent like me. Imagine being like me, someone who can kill or something. They have mm-hmm. an exchange like that. And I think it's after that when he whacks the bully and finally takes command of himself in that way, uh, which I did like seeing his growth with that. And that seemed like a positive outcome, even if 
Mm-hmm. You know, he is inflicting violence, and then the bully's brother decides to inflict more violence. <laughs> I want to say that moment happens right before the the brother sneaks into the apartment. And oh, that's when is it that? Like, okay, so it's after that. Yeah. Okay, sorry. We're like getting ready for him to murder, and he can't quite do it yet. Yeah. Uh, but Ely But he does resist. Yeah. <laughs> a layup. There is th- this idea that like... Ely is has got this secret and once her familiar dies and she like God, the I, I way just he just tosses him away too it is yes man rough it's brutal which again made me think like this is going to be oscar in 40 years she's just going to do this to him poor kid interesting because my reaction to that was like i could never her imagine her doing that to oscar hmm there were like again the the candy moment is super key to me and this moment of like please let's just imagine what it's like to be me can't you be like me for just a little bit like she she is coming to him like she is is vulnerable to him uh i could never picture her doing that to oscar which made me feel like i, I almost saw this but movie but it's while they're the same i guess i just i i can't shake the fact that once oscar changes and becomes older goes through puberty adulthood whatever he's not going to be that same person anymore they're going to have a different relationship a different dichotomy unless she changes him into a vampire who is also 12 i i wouldn't trust what their future is going to be personally here's here's the question then like do we embark on relationships even if they're doomed to fail because in all relationships we we can't say that i i'm only able to see that as an outside observer when you are in it when it's just you and that person it is so hard to be able to see outside the scope of that to be able Mm -hmm. to make informed decisions like that you know you are just living in that moment being with that person um and like you can project things think about things that could happen in the future maybe but like you don't know and when you're in love with someone you're Mm -hmm. more willing to overlook things you know very much so (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, the blessing and a curse of that. Here's the the lens through which I'm almost looking through this movie on. There's something mm-hmm. about like looking at this movie almost like I watched this. It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, okay. It's called Enough Said. It came out in 2013. It was it. the final performance from James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano, and um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Veep and Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And they play like middle-aged divorced people who find each other and they get together. Again, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. But it's very much a story about like two people who were both in relationships and those relationships were toxic. And now they have broken from those relationships and are kind of finding a new relationship that functions for them. So that's one half of it. Like I kind of like this movie as Ely going from the relationship with her old ass familiar who sucks to now her new familiar, Oscar, who loves her and who she's on equal footing. And then the other aspect that kind of is trickling in as you're talking about, like, this relationship is going to be toxic, uh, is Mandy Moore's, uh, what's it called? Uh, a Walk to Remember. Okay. Where she plays, like, this girl. She's, like, a church mouse. And the most popular boy in school, like, goes on a date with her. It might be as, like, a joke. I don't remember why. Or he, like, just likes her. Um, but she reveals, like, halfway through the movie, she's like, I have leukemia. What? And That's he's, like, what that oh, movie's about? I've never seen this yeah. movie. Okay. (laughs) And she's like, that's why I don't want to date you because I'm going to die probably pretty soon. And it's like this very sweet, overly maudlin story about this super popular like high school jock who gets married at 18 and then she passes away and he like just stays friends with her family. But it's about his growth as a person and how he can 
put aside social stigmas and maybe like be present for it. It's like, I kind of like the idea of this relationship as existing in a moment between these two. And they're on, again, this like equal footing and they care about each other. And Oscar's aging is Mandy Moore's leukemia. <laughs> like this relationship is going to die from physical reasons beyond any of their control. And it's just kind of like, a, for it was for me just like such a sweet thing that like they have this now and I like it for them. Yeah, I think I I, I like that that's what you got out of it. <laughs> I think it just read so codependent because she's still dependent on Oscar to get around and get out mm. to move places and stuff. It just kind of seemed like people who are in codependent relationships are always going to be looking for that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Oscar just doesn't know what he's in for because <laughs> he's 12. <laughs> um, I'd like to believe there's something more to it. They do, it does feel like there is a genuine affection, even if she is using him. I'm just kind of worried that once he is not useful to her in the same way that he has been, like, will that mm-hmm. stay? And I think that's the bigger question that, like, this movie wasn't really wanting to answer, I guess, because it is mm-hmm. a little bit more about living in the moment. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the fact that it's like, yeah, it, she is. A monster and i think relationships with monsters are always going to be different if we're talking about using mm-hmm. it like thematically to talk about real human relationships you know i think everything i said still stands but there is also just like the ultimate thing of sometimes a person you fall in love with is going to have things that you are going to have to work around <laughs> or deal or deal with yeah. whether it's like something out of their control like leukemia or you know something that is within their control like they i don't know uh, gamble a lot or something which sure, i guess is yeah. an addiction i don't know i was trying to think of something that is not like mm-hmm. they talk so much <laughs> like, about wrestling there you go yeah <laughs> and there's always going to be that sort of like kind of meeting halfway i think in any relationship whether it's romantic uh business whatever mm. where you kind of have compromises or just like you know make concessions or deal with things differently i guess mm-hmm. And I haven't read the book itself, which I'm sure the book would probably elaborate more on this. I don't know if it even has like more of a epilogue or anything, or if it just ends exactly well, the same way. I would be intri- intrigued to know about that. Do you, do you want to talk about the book now? Because uh, there be... is a full-on sequel to this book. What? There is? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's and interesting. I don't, I don't love it. They do acknowledge that Ely turns Oscar into a vampire. Okay, while he's still the same age. And so they live at the same age, yeah. Okay. So they do, like, I don't love that. I kind of like, I'm super into a doomed relationship that we all know is going to fall apart someday. And then I guess we should talk about the book a little bit. The book gives some more specifics. There's actually, before we get too deep in the book, there's one scene I want to talk about. I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. There is one moment when Ely is changing. There have been a couple of scenes where, like, Ely is changing and they, like, hint at the sexuality between them, but it's never really, like, engaged with. There's one scene where Oscar, like, takes a little peek as Ely is changing and he Mm -hmm. sees her without her underwear on and she's got, like, a wound where her genitals would be. Yeah. What was your read on that? My read on that is also informed by the fact that she she says uh, she's not a girl. But mm-hmm. um, seems to go by like she, even even though that's not the case, uh, according to her mm-hmm. own language. Um, I wasn't sure whether they would be more appropriate then. Ely seems to like kind of not really care either way. But I took it to mean that Ely was born male and was castrated. Mm. And so that's why 
she says that she's not a girl, but then also doesn't okay. specify and say, like, I'm a boy because she seems sort right. of gender fluid now because she doesn't have mm. uh, that part of her anatomy, I guess. So it informs how she kind of presents or feels about herself, I guess. Okay. Um, what about you? Again, according to the book, you're right. That is oh, the book okay. goes the book goes a little further and says that, like, like her speech is I'm not a girl. I'm not a boy. She also says that. Okay. Um, and I and I believe, and this is why I don't feel I don't know what the actual answer is because the movie is so ambiguous. But the book at that point switches Ely's pronouns to he. Oh, does uh, it? Which is which is interesting. It feels very purposeful. But like th- there's so little of that in the movie. Yeah. Besides, again, this little shot of the wound that um, I know a lot of people, and, and this is certainly my first take on it. The I'm not a girl speech. And the mm-hmm. wound on the genitals made it feel like I'm not a person. I, like, I'm a creature now. Mm, like, I, it, it's okay. not that I'm a, a girl versus a boy. And then specifically when I saw this mutilated <laughs> genital, I thought it was, like, a, a symptom of the vampirism. But, like, I also really liked that as, like, a statement on, like, he had pretty much been, like, a good boy <laughs> about, like, turning away when she was naked before. And I just read that as, like this beautiful moment of vulnerability. Like this is her simultaneously releasing uh, or revealing her secret to him. While but he peeks on her without her knowledge or consent of it well, though. Yes. No, no, no. Th- this second scene, the, the first oh, okay. scene when the she, the, when she first does it, it is this very sweet, like it, it, the it speech, reads right? to like the, speech? the reason she's naked is because she's vulnerable. She is physically very vulnerable. Wait, wait, wait. While she's are, emotionally very vulnerable. Are we talking about the speech or are we talking about the little piece in the speech? Okay, the speech, yes. Okay, And then when the speech happens later, I read that as him, like, succumbing to his kind of base instincts and taking a look at her. And what he sees is horrifying. It is, like, uh, if it was an extrapolation of her monsterdom, like, that to me almost completely removes any sexuality from their relationship. Like, it's horrific for him to have looked. He was uh uh emotionally harmed by taking this look because he saw something so scary and i kind of like the idea of their relationship being like completely non-sexual that they're just like so like connected that they're just like this in this emotional bond like that was really sweet to me and that's yeah. why i kind of like my interpretation more than the well, books I think... because like to give it a tangible explanation like mm-hmm. kind of lessens that idea to me okay so the books like elaborated more on how I guess, did it talk about how Ely was turned as well? Like, was it related to that or? It was before, I think it was, I'm going to get this wrong. I feel like it was before she was turned, she was castrated by whatever, like, Vampire cabal or. <laughs> he was involved in. And uh-huh. then um, the old man, the old familiar, I don't have super specific details on this, but there was like uh, pedophile, pedophile vibes to him. Yeah. And so it very much became this like, uh, that was a toxic relationship uh, from both ends versus like I I kind of liked him being <laughs> just like <laughs> just completely under the control of Ely like I, that. I mean, he still is. It, it adds like a different kind of dynamic to that where if she is able to like get him to do what she wants while um, manipulating him in that way, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think also with that scene uh, with Oscar peeking in, he, it's kind of like a child curiosity thing too yeah so like i don't entirely blame him for that but like when he does sneak that peek sees what he sees turns away she comes out he doesn't really treat her any different 
really? Exactly. He might he might yes. be a little like startled, but it doesn't change how he feels in any way, which I mm-hmm. really liked that. And I think that scene too, where they're in bed and she says, I'm I'm not a girl. And he's like, Yeah, well, I still want to go steady. Like, I love yes. that as well. I I think there's a certain amount of uh I know, I I really love those two that those two like instances of that, re- reiterating that mm-hmm. that like Oscar just cares so much about her that it doesn't matter. Um and likewise if it was more just like platonically or at least uh, a not sexual committed relationship. Like I do like that as well. And I feel like there aren't a ton of examples of that in fiction. Mm -hmm. I feel like so much writing tries to kind of sensationalize that part of people's relationships and everything or can anyway, like an over-reliance on being like, well, if these people are dating, of course they're having sex like all the time. Like that's normal. That's what every relationship is like. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, some relationships aren't like that. Some relationships that doesn't even factor into it. Their connection, like, transcends sex. Like, it's yeah. bigger than that. Like, yeah. to, to almost talk about their sexuality almost, like, diminishes their connection. To yeah. Me. And I think you talking about the sequel very briefly, the fact that Ely turns Oscar so they can live together in that way, it kind of changes a lot of my read on this mm. first, on, on this movie, honestly. Because then it mm. is like, oh, okay, so Ely wasn't just trying to get the same thing she's been getting out of other relationships, just having mm. a familiar who will... Uh, do whatever she needs or just like someone who will be there for what she needs because like having another vampire you have vampire strength but then you've got all of the vulnerabilities too so like Mm -hmm. they still have to navigate the world but now they're on equal footing instead of it being more of a lopsided relationship so that's a lot more Mm -hmm. equal which i like yeah i will say there's one moment from the book that uh, i i read about that made me like, in general, like, I'm glad they didn't specifically address, like, I was a boy, I was castrated, and now I am whatever I am. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment, apparently, in the book where Oscar goes and asks his teacher, like, can two boys be together? Oh, and really? Just, like, a, a very childish, like, can I still be with this person I care about? And the reason I like it, like, being almost beyond, like, uh, it, it is, this is very clearly a a trans allegory and i love that a lot but it it becomes about like ignoring these superficial details and finding two people who are just like connecting in whatever way it looks like and it's why that morse code business like works so well for me like these two people have more or less developed a way to communicate that to other people looks like gibberish but like when you're connected to somebody like that's sort of how it feels like you and that person just like know how you're communicating It, it just like I do love uh, all of those moments of them saying, like, I'm not a girl. Well, okay, great. Do you want to go steady? Like, every time Oscar is confronted with a moment where he could begin to distance himself from Ely, he doesn't. He just gets closer and closer. And, ah, what a sweetie. What a sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm obviously very just, like, enamored with this movie. I love this movie. Um one thing I want to talk about real quick is there is a an almost shot for shot American remake of this movie. Okay, yeah, I do know this exists. I haven't looked up anything on it. Uh, lots of times I will like want to try and watch a, a movie like this just so I would have context so we could talk about it mm-hmm. here. I felt absolutely no desire to look that up. Uh, I've heard it is not great. What did what is yeah? What did you learn? I, I also haven't watched it, and I didn't learn anything about it. Okay, <laughs> I know it stars uh Chloe. Grace Mortez, Morez, Malabe, Malabe, Malabe. I know her from Thirty Rock. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. But the point is, I was going to make was there is a uh, a dummy 
that like in the shot where the old familiar is throwing the body into the ice hole. Okay. And I, I remember the narrative about this remake being like, it's unnecessary. We already have the Swedish movie. And I was like, I saw that dummy and I was like, no, no, no. That's reason enough to remake this movie. <laughs> Absolutely make this movie again so we can get a better body to throw in the ice hole. Oh my God. The cat scene. We didn't talk about CGI cats yet. Mm. Did they have better <laughs> CGI cats or did they have trained cats in the remake? I wonder. Great question. Yeah, there there are just some technical limitations. Yeah, there's, there's a couple. Uh, some Not people get budget. their head cut off, and that head looks like that's a mannequin head. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Still look better than the CGI cats. The lighting <laughs> was like too bright, and uh, the faces they made them too expressive, and it's really weird. Like, what is this vampire lore that cats hate vampires so bad that they would suicide <laughs> launch themselves at a vampire? To try and take it down as a yes. group. <laughs> like, what? This is specifically the scene where um, the the woman who Ely attacks is turning into a vampire. And she yeah. knows that she's becoming a vampire. And she, like, goes to this man's house who owns a lot of cats. Yeah, her brother and- is there, like, talking to him about their friend who got murdered by Ely, like, in one of the opening scenes. Uh I, I I don't mind it. Like I kind of like like I, it's always said that like dogs can see ghosts. I like that yeah. cats get their own <laughs> stat. It buff. felt like everything was so relatively grounded or something, or wasn't even dealing with like hard and fast rules of what vampires are. And then that happened, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What? <laughs> okay, you're introducing <laughs> some stuff here. Do I have to think about this now?" <laughs> and she well, also like, just comically kind of falls with, like, down the stairs with the with the cats attached to her. It's very funny. I found myself laughing, and I wasn't supposed to. I don't think it does rule. <laughs> I I like that scene a lot. Like I I need just these little dashes of pure silliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was there anything else about Let the Right One In that you wanted to talk about? I gotta say, I didn't know this movie was set in the eighties until I did any mm. amount of research on it. So I think this is supposed to be set in the eighties when the writer. The original book was a kid is one of the mm-hmm. reasons why he said it that way. And I mean, you can kind of get that from the amount of technology available, I guess. Hmm. Um, I don't know enough about Sweden. So maybe there's like lots of other very distinguishing things where like if you know more, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely places it in the 80s. But like the fashion doesn't necessarily seem like it is uh, nothing else really placing it is like that. I don't think it loses or gains anything by being set in the 80s yeah. or in 2008. It has kind of like a timeless feel to it, which I appreciate uh, that I think they were able to nail pretty well. Um, I think that so much of this movie is just like so matter of fact. It's just like, yes, there is a Rubik's Cube, but that's not like... Yeah, I guess the Rubik's it, Cube is kind of a thing, but like Rubik's yeah. Cubes exist now too and they did in 2008. Right. it's like it's like them it's not there's no line of dialogue because there's just not this kind of dialogue in this movie where they're like wow the rubik's cube just came out and i love it (laughs) there's no because this movie lets everything just sit everything is just like presented very like matter of factly it's just like here's how the cat is behaving here's how ely is behaving and it 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 really, like, it's kind of why I was bummed that I learned what did happen in the book, because I love just being presented with these bullet points of information and letting the details that my mind creates just kind of uh, uh, trickle in and fill in the, the the details. Like, knowing it was set in the 80s, like, oh yeah, I can see it, but I like thinking about it better as, like, a timeless movie that... Yeah. Uh, that doesn't have to be, like, if it was an 80s movie, I'm like, well, is this secretly a comment about greed? <laughs> like, do, do we have something to say about the 80s <laughs> that we needed to set it here? No! It's about people connecting. 
and monsters. Uh, we didn't t- talk too much about the acting, but one of the things that also plays to this movie's strength um, is that, like, the kid characters are actually kids. Yeah. In a lot of other... The adaptation, I guess I don't know how old the, the actors are who played it, but, like, Oscar feels like he he is a 12-year-old. I don't know how old the actor was, but he looks and acts like it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd also say... It's a strength and also a weakness sometimes where sometimes the characters just aren't emoting that much. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed mm. to take away from what is happening here. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, especially like Oscar himself, like when he's angry, I get that. But sometimes he just kind of like looks at things blankly. <laughs> Ely does a lot of looking with big round, like the hugest eyes you've ever seen. I don't know if they CGI'd her face at all, aside from like, I think when she is sort of vamping out. She kind of has like slit pupils, maybe, or at least her eyes feel like they're bigger. Yeah, I, I think they they digitally alter her eyes to be bigger. That yeah. would make sense. Yeah, because I was like, is that real? I couldn't tell. So that's <laughs> one of the effects that if that is an effect, they did it well. The bully kids too, like they really do feel like shitty little kids trying to act tough in a way <laughs> that feels authentic, and then in a way that also feels kind of like I'm not sure about this acting either. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard. It's a hard knife edge to balance on. I'd say there there's strengths and weaknesses to it that would stick out more in other scenes and then other times. I think it it sold it really well. Uh, what about you, Mikey? I, I just looked up what it's called. Um, there's this effect. <laughs> a cool. It's mm-hmm. called the Kuleshov effect that I've referenced a bunch. Kuleshov? The Kuleshov effect. The when you Kuleshov. talk about like these blank actors and they're just like looking at things. Um, Russian filmmaker Lev Kuleshov in the 1910s and 1920s made this experiment where he had an actor just look into the camera blank. And they were like being directed, like have no reaction, have nothing. And he would take that shot and then he would cut it against uh, a bowl of soup. And then he would cut (laughs) it against uh, a girl in a coffin and a woman on a, a divan. I don't know what that word means. But the idea was that audiences would look at this blank actor and then see them looking at the bowl of soup and be like, oh, well, how would you describe this actor's emotion? And they're like, she's hungry. Or they would see her looking at the girl in the coffin and they would say, she's sad. But there's actually nothing there. Interesting. Okay. And it's, I kind of feel like this movie is Kuleshov effect, the movie. Like it, yeah, it's just presenting that. information and you are bringing to it, like the fact that we had such different takes on what this relationship was. It was kind of just like, it's just presenting images and performances and photographs. And we're just bringing feelings to it because humans, like it's something cool about people that we like have so many feelings that we can see a blank nothing. And we're just like, well, I know what that feeling is, is getting at. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's cool. I love it. Like we can both be right because there, there, I would argue that there's evidence for and against both of our takes, there's uh, you specifically disca- described this movie having a style specifically through its performances where they are trying to not give you something. I was tangibly upset that I found out more information. Like I found out what the actor was looking at in the in the directing, and it made oh? me upset. Like what? This movie is just well. I, I just mean like that's what the book finding out information oh, from I the see. book yeah, yeah. kind of did for me. It was like, well, she wasn't, they, they just cut in a picture of soup. She was actually looking at a, a girl in a coffin. It's like, oh, that's a bummer. I liked <laughs> what I got from it. I liked what my emotional reaction uh-huh. was to it. And I don't know. That's why this movie is like so effective for me. Well, that's great. I'm glad mm. that like, I don't know. I think that's 
part of the beauty of movies and art in general, too, is that like you are taking your own experiences into it and everybody can get a different flavor out of the same piece of art, you know? Mm -hmm. And speaking of the flavor we get out of art, Roxy, on a scale from one to five thumbs, and remember, we can go over two thumbs because we have this big box of hands here. Yep, sure do. How would you rate this movie? What? what did, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I can't get a read on it from you. Uh, what did you think of it? What's your rating? Uh, so I actually give it two out of five. Whoa! Yeah. Okay, that tracks. <laughs> I guess, again, <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> yeah, I think like what I got out of it, it very much felt like the cyclical nature of kind of like codependent relationships juxtaposed with like this main character, well, debatable main character, I guess they both are, uh, with Oscar's innocence of like not really understanding what that is. So it's hard to say, like, I didn't dislike this movie, but I also didn't like it. It's kind of hard to mm. say, like, what my feeling, feelings about it are in that sense. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's relatively well made. It doesn't seem like it had a great budget, but uh, it doesn't come through a whole lot based on, like, the locations they picked, uh, the time of year they picked and everything. They didn't have, like, aside from the CGI cats thing, they didn't have <laughs> any effects that looked off that would have been, like, due to budget or something. So it has, like, a very naturalistic feel that I really appreciate about it. Um, and also, it's just fun to see movies made in different countries and places I've never been to and places, mm -hmm. who knows, maybe I go to Sweden someday. Uh, mm -hmm. But I really did like that part of it. But I think the movie itself just kind of didn't jive. Um, knowing some of the context about the book and stuff, too, like, it's hard to not think about that now mm -hmm. <laughs> and have it reflect back on the movie in a way. But I think it's still, like, a decent movie, like... I didn't give it a one. I didn't give it a zero. So I'd say it's a two. It's like below mid-tier for me. Uh, what about you, yeah. Mikey? I can't remember if I've done this for a movie before. I gave it five thumbs out of oh five. Oh my God. I think this is the first time, Mikey. <laughs> I think this is my favorite movie we've watched for Scary Basement. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of the way we were talking about the Mario 64 eel, how I could put my mindset of how it was the first time I played it and also have the mindset of how I'm watching it now. Yeah. I, I could put myself in the mindset of feeling this incredible tension throughout yes, of this there is a little too. boy who is at any moment vulnerable to this vampire girl. Uh -huh. And that's like an interesting layer to it. And then watching it again and knowing how it ends and just feeling like I just totally bought these two's connection. I love a movie that is like confident enough to just put things on screen and let you figure out what you are taking from it. It's got these like wide shots of violence. Like I think about early on, I think it's the first kill we see in this movie where Ely is like pretending, or no, it's the second kill after uh, the old familiar has fucked up. Uh -huh. Where she's just like sitting under an overpass and it's just like this very wide pulled back shot. Yeah, that like, entire shot actually, that I it might be one of the best shots in the entire movie. The way yeah, that they face incredible. it and like the the tension, the horror that goes on and just like, yeah, it also shows her using her perceived vulnerability of being a small girl yeah. in the snow to use it as a weapon to uh, take down prey. Even when she doesn't want to kill people, but no, she has to. <laughs> it's it's so scary. This like just unambiguous, like long, this distance from the like we're removed from it, but it still yeah. feels so visceral and it almost kind of puts you in this role of like the observer who will later see it. 
and it almost feels like you're just like watching someone and you kind of don't know what to do with it. It's just like, yeah, this movie- it puts you in the perspective of that where like you could be someone who is watching this just like, you know, happen a couple hundred feet away from you. Mm-hmm. It has this voyeuristic right. nature to it that I think is very effective. It's uh, it's yeah, it's very much my favorite movie we've watched uh, so far. That, again, that dummy t- sucks. That dummy does suck. <laughs> Just the dummy head that falls into the, the pool. Yeah, there's just, there's just a bad dummy. <laughs> what about uh, the dummy bodies that are sitting on the pool afterwards? <laughs> also not working for you? <laughs> yeah, they absolutely don't. And yet, <laughs> I'm able to brush am, right past it. I am going to say that shot choice also. Okay, so having the violence happen off screen, seeing the aftermath of it. Like, we're there with Oscar under the water, hoping he yes. doesn't die. And then when you see mm-hmm. the body go into the pool. No, wait. Okay. First, you see feet being dragged across the water in a way <laughs> that could not happen normally. So you're like, oh, shit, what's going on here? And then you see the head fall into the water. And then the arm that is holding Oscar underwater is separated and just falls down a bloody yeah. mess in front of his face. It's an incredibly good shot. Yeah. It's so scary. You're, you're, you're like. Whoever's idea that was, I want to shake their hand. They did a very good job with that. You're slowly realizing like, oh, no, this is. This is happening. Yeah. <laughs> Roxy, this is my, this is probably, this, this is one of my favorite horror movies. I don't want to say it's my favorite horror movie. This is one of my favorite horror It movies. is a very good movie. So I'd like to say like, however, I, it might came off with me like getting the, whatever theme I got across. I think it is a very well-made movie and I, a five out of five totally makes sense. Honestly, the, 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 the way it made you feel like kind of speaks more to the movie to me. Like the, the, the fact that this movie helped me understand you a little more, like well, just that I'd it can say... present evidence and let me like hear more about like what you're thinking and feeling. Like, I think that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so too. Ugh. Anyhow, Roxy, do you have a question for me about this movie? <laughs> I sure do, Mikey. So, this movie has a very special puzzle in it, and I know how you and I both <laughs> feel about puzzles. Uh, the puzzle is a Rubik's Cube. So, I want to know, Mikey, what's the first puzzle you ever solved as a kid, or can remember solving anyway, as a kid? I do remember being uh, a kid in, like, <laughs> over one summer, my mom sent me to this, like, drawing club. Um, okay. Where I just went for, like, drawing classes uh, a couple of days a week i might have gone every day a week um but for whatever reason this guy who is teaching the drawing class gave us one of those like logic puzzles where like there's a man and a duck and a crocodile and a pig and they have a boat and this man needs to get all of these animals across but he can't if he takes the duck and the crocodile, I obviously don't remember this specific puzzle because this puzzle doesn't make sense. He would be eaten by the crocodile. But uh-huh. it's like, he can't take the crocodile and the duck because the crocodile will eat the duck. And the pig is too heavy, so he can't take any other animals besides the pig. And how does he get them all across? Mm-hmm. And I remember being the first one to realize, like, oh, he could take the boat across, drop off the pig, and come back and get them. Because everybody's, like, trying to figure out, like, maybe Oh, could... because they weren't even thinking of the idea that there could be multiple trips. Right. Okay. And... Roxy, I huh. felt like a god. <laughs> I felt like I had solved creation and unlocked Amazing. all that was before me. <laughs> it was a, a day I'll never forget. The only time I ever felt uh, validated. I'm sure those kids in your class uh, think back on it and muse over how they wish they were smart enough to figure that out. Yo, how dude, could that they? dude figured out the boat thing. Damn, dude, multiple trips. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think he's up to? He's probably like working for NASA. The president of a different nation. <laughs> there you go. Mikey for president. 
her to hear first. Roxy, what was the first puzzle that you solved? Uh, so the first puzzle that I can remember solving was when I got in a Christmas cracker. Do you know what Christmas crackers are, Mikey? No. Tell me about Christmas crackers. Okay. I just realized I just realized I probably had to explain that. Uh, so Christmas crackers are a British tradition where it's basically um, there is a paper crown, a riddle, and a prize inside. And it's got uh, these two ends. They're kind of like – it's kind of like a wrapped candy shape where okay. you've got like the thing in the middle and then two like little ends that are – kind of uh, sticking out uh mm. you have people each take one side of each end and pull and whoever gets the part that has the midsection in it gets that thing although so you could have someone <laughs> who could get nothing uh as a kid we didn't play it that way though everybody got at least one so we got one of those as a kid and i got a little puzzle inside that was like these two horseshoe shaped metal rings um that were kind of like crossed in the middle and so they were connected and the puzzle was how do you get these to be disconnected so they're two separate pieces. Like, that is how you figure it mm. out. And I remember it kind of, like, tinkering with it. And then when it clicked where you have to join them in the middle and then <laughs> twist to make them come apart, I was like, holy shit, I figured it out by myself. It was one of the first times I didn't, like, ask an adult or something to help me with it. Uh-huh. I just remember, like, distinctly holding those two pieces after doing it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so <laughs> cool. And so, like, I remember, like, putting them back together and then redoing them again. And uh, I have a very distinct memory about just kind of, like, doing that on Christmas Eve, figuring out that puzzle, feeling really cool. And your family probably is like, what do you think ever happened to Roxy? <laughs> she was she... smart enough to figure out the ring puzzle. But she's the president of some other nation. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, last week we made a bet about Let the Right One In. We asked each other. Oh boy, did we. What was the timestamp of the first appearance of blood in this vampire movie? Mm -hmm. I said 25 minutes into the film. I said 14 minutes. Oh, I checked that timestamp. Our boy, old ass familiar, slices a man's throat at 10 minutes and 7 seconds, which means... Ooh. You win again. You're much better at this than I am. I'm the president of some other the country. That's why. You are officially <laughs> the one who becomes the president of another foreign country. <laughs> what a weird indication that that's that you're intelligent. Good at puzzles <laughs> equals president. That you moved obviously. to a different nation and yeah. were able to become the president. Uh, that hey, means we our don't total make score. the rules, Mikey. That's just how life is, okay? That's how they award presidencies in other nations. Mm -hmm. They put a, a series of puzzles on a desk and they say who can solve the most the fastest. And that's our president. Uh, the total bet scores right now stand at Roxy with 38 points. Mikey with 28 points. A full 10 point lead on my ass. Ty with four. You know who I don't think could ever be the leader of a small foreign nation, Roxy? I got a good guess who, and I think he's coming up right on us. The demon bot. He's bad at puzzles. He's also evil. <laughs> Mikey and Roxy, I may not be the president of another country, but I am a lord of Scotland. According to this website, I paid for a certificate. Anyway, for next week, you must watch the 2020 remake of The Invisible Man. Well, Roxy, we're going to watch The Invisible Man next week. All right. I haven't seen this. Have you seen this, Mikey? I, I haven't seen it. I know it features uh, my girl Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men. All right. Hell yeah. That's all I know. A movie both of us hasn't, haven't seen. This is this is That's exciting. never happened. I mean, uh, maybe it has like the Scream <laughs> the sequel, Squeakquel. Scream 5. The Squeakquel. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they murdered Alvin and the Chipmunks in just the first couple minutes. You have to figure out who is the real murderer. Uh, you weren't expecting it. They were the big celebrities for the new screen. <laughs> Uh, we got to make a bet then about this Invisible Man movie. Roxy, how many people do you think are going to be killed? Human beings, to be clear. How many human okay, beings yes. are going to be killed in the film The Invisible Man? <laughs> Ooh, um, I don't think this is a slasher, so I think it's going to be a smaller number. This still might even be too big of a number, but I'm going to go five. What do five? you think? I'm going to, uh, I agree with you. And listen, I haven't seen this movie, but I did read the book, the H.G. Wells <laughs> Invisible Man. Oh, and really? I think there's just like one or two kills. So I'm I'm going to go low too. I'm going to say three. Okay. We'll find out. Bet's locked in, baby. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things. Vampires. Mm-hmm. Bullies. Uh-huh. Blood. Connecting <laughs> with a person. <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about something that's making us happy. What's brought a smile to your face lately? Uh, so the thing that has been making me happy lately, two things that won't surprise you. One, it's a video game thing. Two, it's Final Fantasy mm. fourteen related. You guessed mm-hmm. it. I'm sure, Mikey. I didn't even have to say it. Uh, so they, they call just- it the Roxy special. <laughs> yep. So they just came out with a, uh, a new update. So it's 6.3. It's got a new story and a bunch of new uh, like big boss fights and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've never been caught up to date, except for this is the first update I've ever been caught up to date on. So I can play the new stuff when it launches. Uh, I've oh, never been able exciting. to do that. So it's a huge thing uh, to be able to play this new story when it comes out, like a couple days after it came out. Be able to do these fights that are like very complex boss fights. So it's kind of like some people will just wait up so they can try and figure it out. And people are just entire party wipes because they don't know what the hell is happening. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like this collective just group of folks trying to figure out how the hell these fights work and how do you survive them? How do you get to the end? Uh, which is kind of like a puzzle in a way, too, because you have to figure out all the different mechanics. <laughs> so it's super fun being able to run that with people for the first time. You're sort of going through the Final Fantasy XIV version of, like, finally being caught up with a TV show that's, like, three seasons in that everybody's mm-hmm. been talking about. Like, you can yep. read all of the articles about it on Uproxx. Like, you can finally, like, be a part of this conversation as it happens, as opposed to, like, trying to hide from spoilers, trying to, like... <laughs> yeah, I don't have to mute, like, half my Twitter list so I don't get spoiled right. from it. Oh, that's it's very great. exciting. What about you, Mikey? What's making you happy this week? Well, Roxy, what's making me happy? I am uh, house-sitting for a friend of mine, and let me tell you, this man has a Peloton. Do you know about the Peloton bike? Uh, I feel like I've seen advertisements for that bike. <laughs> so It's, it's very a- expensive, Ooh. and it's worth it. It is. It's a. It's a. An exercise bike that has a giant touchscreen on it, and Ooh. you uh, subscribe to like a service, so they do like live cycling classes. Damn. Okay. And because I'm at this house, I just set up like a guest account and I'm like taking classes every day. So you can do live so classes, on demand classes. I am getting cut. <laughs> I'm going to get cut. It offers yoga classes. It offers uh, weightlifting Wait, classes. Wait, so it's not on the bike? Okay, I just well, you, it was bike exclusive. That's super cool, though. You can do other Yeah, you can too. just like tilt the screen and then you just like it just shows you a yoga class. That's so cool. Specifically, the cycling classes, you can do them live and you can like on your touchscreen, like give high fives to other people that are what? right now doing the same workout you're doing. That's amazing. And it's just like a little like, like a liking a tweet on Twitter, but it is giving somebody a high five. You start to form like, like working out is hard. Like that's a great little motivator to be like someone else is doing the same thing as me and working hard and I can encourage them to do it. 
Absolutely. Right. No, it's super fun. It goes super fast. You like don't realize what's happening. And then all of a sudden your 30 minute workout is over and you've set a new PR. I'm setting PRs, Roxy, for personal records. Oh, okay. Great. It's dope. <laughs> it's dope. Exercise is fun. Nice. Okay. Now we've talked about enough things. It's time. For, I guess it's still a fun thing. Uh, it's time for haunted <laughs> plugs. <laughs> First of all, make sure to follow Scary Basement on Twitter. It's at scary underscore basement. And also follow us on Instagram at scary basement pod. Roxy, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy. And I'm on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy as well. Where I stream three days a week, every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash secretblimp. I stream whenever I feel like it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> also, make sure to give this very podcast that you're listening to, Scary Basement, five stars on iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Also, leave a review. That really helps us out. And another way you can help us out is by checking out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC. Sign up at patreon.com slash supernpcradio, and you can get bonus episodes of Scary Basement covering horror video games as well as all the years and years of content from the rest of the video game loving folks over at Super NPC and bonus episodes from us. And don't forget to share and scare this podcast with all your friends. Finally, as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. See you next week. (laughs) 